Advent, Jeremy mentioned four weeks leading up to Christmas. We prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. Real creative move on our part. Our theme for the next four weeks is going to be prepare. Or make ready, if you like that older phrase better. How do we uh, prepare our hearts or make ourselves ready for the work and the word of God coming to us? Today we're going to talk about preparing for a surprise, which may seem a bit counterintuitive. How do you prepare for something that by definition is unexpected? It was the, it was the place that uh, the, the, the folks that we read about in Matthew 1 and 2 and, and Luke 1 and 2, it was, it, that was their context. That was the place that they were coming from. The last words of God to his people in the Old Testament are found at the end of Malachi and God makes a promise. He said, I'm going to send you Elijah. Elijah's already come and died, so it's a, it's a new Elijah. I'm going to send you an Elijah, and he's going to turn the hearts of children to their parents, and he's going to prepare a people for the, for the day of the Lord. And so a year passes, and a decade passes, and a century passes, and another one, and then another one, and then 400 years are called the 400 silent years, this period of time in the lives of the Jewish people where they have the temple, they've got a place to worship, they've got the synagogue, they've got a place to gather and be together as a people and to learn. Uh, they have the law, but they don't have anything fresh. There's no prophets, there's no fresh revelation from God, and again, this stretches for four centuries, and that's where we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 1, one excuse me, verse 5. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So she was part of the priestly line as well, but women were not allowed to serve. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty... And he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and was gripped with fear. The angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." There's that fulfillment of the Malachi passage. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm, I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When Zechariah came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, Elizabeth said, and these days he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. 
In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So Zachariah and Mary have a, a lot in common. They're both visited by the angel Gabriel. They're both given surprising news about an impending birth. Zachariah is surprised because he and his wife are both so old. Uh, probably, uh, m- maybe even for Elizabeth past childbearing age, we don't know that. Mary is surprised because she's so young. Not yet married, still a virgin. Gabriel gives them details about these children. Name, John. Jesus, what their role would be in the work of God, preparing the way and ruling over God's people. And then both ask the angel Gabriel a question, and their question arises out of their sense of limitation. Zachariah from his age and Mary from her status as engaged and a virgin, they both ask a question based on their, again, their understanding of their circumstance or the limitations of their circumstances. Zachariah says to Gabriel, uh, how can I know this? How can I be sure that what you're telling me is going to happen? I'm old and my wife is well advanced in years. Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And then their stories diverge. They both get a response from Gabriel, but they're very different. To Zechariah, Gabriel gives a rebuke. And you can kind of hear Gabriel a little bit when he's talking. And he says, do you know who I am? I'm, I'm Gabriel, and do you know where I come from? It's heaven, and do you know who sent me? It's God. And so you don't get to talk anymore. And Zechariah doesn't get to talk anymore. And he doesn't talk for over nine months. Eight on, uh, when John the Baptist turns eight days old, that's when Zechariah can talk again. Because of Zechariah's skepticism and his doubt, he's punished. He's not a, he, he can't talk for a little over nine months. Mary asks a question, and, and the response of Gabriel to her is very different. She's not rebuked, she's reassured. Her question's answered. She's going, how can this be because I'm a virgin? And Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And then she kind of gets a, a miracle baby buddy and Elizabeth, your relative, she also has a surprise pregnancy. She's six months along, and Mary goes and spends three months with Elizabeth. Why the difference? We see Zachariah and Mary both receiving a a, a surprise, an unexpected word and work from God. Zachariah doesn't respond very well, and Mary does respond pretty well. And that's not what we would think. Just looking at it, Zachariah seemed to have more going for him in terms of having a heart ready to 
received from the Lord. Then Mary, he was a priest. His job was God. And he was an older man, so he'd been doing that for a while. He was righteous. So you would think there's some spiritual experience and some spiritual maturity. Mary is 13 or 14 or 15 years old. And as a female, she wouldn't have been exposed to religious education outside of the home. And she may not have gotten anything within the home. We don't know what her spiritual state was, but it would have been minimal. Her spiritual experience and understanding, it would have been minimal at this point in her life. Zachariah is married. He'd been praying for a child for years. Mary is still engaged. She's a virgin. Children aren't yet on her radar screen. I think about the setting. Zachariah is, is literally in the second holiest room on the planet. And the holiest room is right next door. He's in the holy place. He's doing this holy task, burning incense. He's been chosen by God. In the Old Testament times leading up through um, what we see in the book of Acts, if you wanted God to make a decision, you cast lots. That was your way of saying, I'm not going to decide. I'm going to let God decide. We don't know exactly what casting lots was, but it was a way of, of releasing a decision to the Lord. And so that's what... That's how Zechariah was chosen. There's like 18,000 priests. And so there were these jobs that were very um, privileged. And in order to, to discern who God wanted to do those, those roles, they would cast lots. And you could easily go your whole life and never be chosen. And Zechariah was chosen. And Luke tells us that while he's in this holy place chosen by God, doing this holy work of burning incense, all of the assembled worshipers are around him praying. You could almost, it, it's like there's a halo, golden light on the room where Zechariah is. Mary is in Nazareth, an out-of-the-way out town in Galilee, far removed from Jerusalem and the temple. And I, I imagine she's doing whatever work 13 or 14 or 15-year-old girls do, whatever those domestic responsibilities are, that's what she's doing. It's just a normal, mundane day for her. I would think it would give Zachariah a bit of a leg up in terms of recognizing who's speaking to him, Gabriel. The results for Zachariah and Elizabeth, a baby would be celebrated. Barrenness was considered a curse by God. If you were married and you couldn't have children, the assumption is God was punishing you for some sin you had committed. We know that's not the case. We read that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and blameless, that is, they followed the law. But nobody else knew that. The assumption would be, well, you don't have children. God is punishing you. Elizabeth actually says, uh, God has, has removed my disgrace from me. Or your Bible may say, has removed my reproach. From me, She saw and she understood and Zechariah understood that her pregnancy and, and giving birth to John would be a sign to everybody that she was in right relationship with God. For Mary, very different. For her to be pregnant, it was a, was a scandal and would have been seen as a result of sin. She was either sleeping with her fiancé before they were married, which is a sin, or she was sleeping with somebody else outside of her fiancé, which is adultery, which is a sin. Either way, she's sinning. That's the only way she could be pregnant would be the assumption. And we know from Matthew's gospel that Joseph, her fiancé, assumed that she had committed adultery. He knew the baby wasn't his, 
the, it's God's doesn't work very well for most people. So the assumption is she's had an affair. It's somebody else's baby. Scandal for her. It says even more to me that as, again, as let's, let's peg her at 15 years old with a minimal amount of spiritual experience. That she, that she says yes, knowing it's going to turn my life upside down in a not in a good way. She's not going to be celebrated by anybody for this pregnancy. Nobody's going to believe her story. And yet she says yes. Why is Mary so receptive? Even the question she asks speaks to her faith. She says, how will, how will, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She doesn't. The, the, the question for her is one of logistics or mechanics. She's not asking, is this, is this really going to happen? She's not saying whether or not this will take place. What she's saying is, I recognize that I'm a virgin, and you're saying I'm going to get pregnant, so I can't figure out how that's going to happen in a righteous way. So tell me about the process. That's what she's asking about. Zachariah is very different. How will I know for certain that what you said to me is going to happen? It's not where Mary's coming from at all. She's already accepted that what this angel has told to her is going to happen. She's just saying, I don't get how it's going to happen. So as we enter into this Christmas season, how do we cultivate hearts like Mary's? And recognize Zachariah is not a bad guy at all. He's a priest. He's righteous. He's blameless. He was chosen for a very, very important task, being the father of John the Baptist. He is... This is not throwing dirt on him at all. But in this moment, when he gets an unexpected word from the Lord, when he's surprised by God, his response is skeptical. His response is is to doubt. Mary's response is very different. It's one of trust and confidence. How do we cultivate a heart like Mary's? It's a stereotype in our day. I don't know if it was true in biblical times or not, but the older we get, the more set in our ways we become. That's just, it's true. You can think of it as many of you, when you moved out of your parents' house, maybe when you were 18 or maybe when you were 22, think about what you put your stuff in. For most of us, it fit in the trunk of our Honda Accord, and we could get where we wanted to go just with that. And now what if you need to move your stuff? You've got the 18-wheeler after you've had the yard sale. And then that's not just true physically and tangibly, it's true internally as well. The older we get, the more bags we have. And don't hear that as negative emotional baggage, it's just stuff. We accumulate stuff. And the more stuff we have, the more difficult it is for us to change direction, the more disruptive change is for us. Our roots are deeper in the life that we're living, and so it becomes much more difficult for us to move in a new direction. I'm 43. I don't know how old Zachariah was. He was at least my age, if not older. If an angel appeared in my bedroom tonight and said, you're going to have a baby, I would not be excited (laughs) at all. I love babies. I just don't want any more. Very disruptive. That's not the road that I'm on at 43 years old. A new, if that's the word to me, I'm not really interested. Think about when you were in high school 
when you were in college, when you were just out of college, much more open to new, much more open to different, much more open to a change in direction. Again, I don't know if that was the case for Zachariah, but I do think it's the case for us. Part of cultivating a heart like Mary's, we can't become young again. Every day we get a day older, but there's something about a heart that's not too rooted. I'm not saying you have to be a tumbleweed and you're kind of blown around by the wind, but there's something about recognizing, you know what, this, this life that I've built, I, I don't want to get too established in that. How do we cultivate that heart? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything that you need will be given to you. To seek first the kingdom is to recognize and to prioritize God's work in the world over my work in the world. Not that my work is bad, it's just not ultimate. His work is. If I'm going to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then I'm going to recognize that what God is doing in this world is more important than what I am doing in this world. And so if what God says is what I'm doing in this world is giving you a baby at 43 years old, then what I'm going to say is, okay, because what you're doing is more important than what I'm doing. What I'm doing is secondary. What you're doing is ultimate and primary. It's a heart posture. Cultivated through prayer, absolutely. A very tangible thing you could do. We don't talk about this a ton at Stonebridge, but a very tangible thing you can do to cultivate a heart that seeks first the kingdom is to give your money to things that are kingdom-oriented. In that same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Not where your heart is, your treasure will be. What comes first? Your treasure. And then your heart will follow. One of the ways that we stay oriented towards the kingdom, one of the ways we seek the kingdom first, one of the ways we prioritize what God is doing in the world over what we're doing in the world is we choose to give money to people and to organizations and to projects that are doing God's work. You don't have to give anything here, but give money somewhere that's focused towards the kingdom. That will help you very practically seek the kingdom first. Why? Because that's where you're putting your money and your heart will follow. Without getting into all the specifics about giving, I would just say it's not hard. You just write a check and you write it regularly versus sporadically and you write it intentionally versus being on autopilot. And if you were to say, we don't have any money, I would say, well, if you have a job, then you have money. You have income. You have money coming in. That's what income is. And so before the Lord, you just ask him how much and to who. And he'll direct you and you'll find your heart becoming a little less attached to what you're doing and a bit more attached to what he's doing. Also think about Zachariah. Again, he's at least my age, if not older. I think you could be a priest till you were 55. So if he's called an old man and he has to retire, I think it's at 55 is the number. So he's somewhere between my age and and 55 years old, I wonder how long has he prayed for a child? You know, the angel comes to him and says, your prayer has been heard. And I wonder how long has he prayed? Is he still praying? Did he quit? Did he feel like, did they feel like, hey, we're kind of past the point where Elizabeth can conceive that ship has sailed? Or is that still something that's an active prayer point for him? But I do believe that period of, of unanswered prayer 
that period of time where he's asking and God's not answering and their peers who got married with them are having children. Maybe at this point, Zachariah would think, I, I thought I'd be a granddad by this point. I don't, I don't know. But I do think over time, those areas where we, we don't necessarily see God working or we don't see God working in the way that we want him to work, it's easy for our hearts to become calloused. And we can fool ourselves into believing that it's just this one little area or this one little spot, but our hearts are an integrated whole, and so it doesn't work that way. And that kind of crustiness tends to seep across all areas of our heart. And I'm wondering if that's where Zechariah was. And so when he says to this angel, Gabriel, how can I know for sure? What I hear in him is, I can't be disappointed again. And I certainly can't go home and tell my wife and get her hopes up and have her devastated if this doesn't work out. You've got to give me some assurance. I need some proof if I'm actually going to put my feet down on this. This is something that's been a core part of who we are. This barrenness in our life, this desire for a child, this seeking and asking God to give us a child. And I can't, I can't open all of that up unless I know for certain that I'm actually, we're actually going to have a baby this time. That's skepticism. That, that's doubt. And Gabriel responds accordingly. And I wonder in your own heart, as you think about Christmas, as you think about what would it look like for me to be open to something new, a new word or a new work? What if God wanted to surprise me? If your heart's not soft, then God can't do that work. You'll respond with skepticism. Even if the reason your heart has become calloused is over here, and what God wants to speak to you and do is something that's over here, it doesn't work that way. You can't divide your heart in that manner. The only way I know to keep a heart soft is to deal directly with the source of what's causing it to be calloused. You all know time doesn't heal anything, but Jesus heals everything if we bring those things to him. And so the only thing I know to do is to constantly be bringing my heart before him and saying, keep it soft. And there's three moves or three different questions that we need to be asking ourselves, and I would say on a regular basis, to keep our hearts soft before the Lord. And the first thing that we, that we need to ask is, how have I contributed to this callousness? So if I'm Zachariah, I'm saying before the Lord, have I sinned? What sinful choices have I made that have caused you to not give me a child? Are there any? The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and guilt and righteousness. He wants you to know. You're not going to have to guess. You're not going to have to wonder. If you genuinely say, God, convict me of the places where I've missed the mark. That's what sin is. It's to miss the mark. God, tell me where I've missed the mark. He will let you know. Not because he wants to punish you, but because he wants to forgive you and restore you. He wants you to know so you can take responsibility for those actions. So the first question, if I'm Zachariah, is, God, did I do anything? that I missed the mark? Is there any sinful behavior in me that's causing you to not give us a child? So whatever, when, when, we, when I say barrenness, thinking about Zachariah and Elizabeth, you apply that to yourself in whatever way that looks like, whatever the thing is for you that's causing that crustiness on your heart. First question, have I contributed in some way? Second question, if I'm Zachariah, God, is there anyone that I need to forgive? 
Is there anyone whose their choices, whether intentional or unintentional, have caused me and my wife to not be able to have children? He may need to forgive Elizabeth. I don't know. Maybe he thinks it's her fault. We never forgive God because he never sins, but there may be a sense of even saying to the Lord, you, you've disappointed me. This isn't hard for you. All kinds of other people have children. Maybe even people I would say don't deserve kids, and they've got them. How come not me? Forgiveness is not saying what you did to me is okay. It's saying I'm releasing you from my judgment, and some of us hold God in judgment. He never sins, but he doesn't act all the way, always the way we want him to. And so we judge him for that. That is detrimental, devastating to your relationship with him. You're never going to be open to receiving anything new from God if you're holding him in judgment for something he did or did not do in the past. God, I'm disappointed in you. And I'm saying that from a place of humility. I'm saying I'm disappointed that you did or didn't do this particular action. Who does Zachariah need to forgive? Again, whether that person did something intentionally or unintentionally. And then the last question is, what do I need to grieve? If I'm Zachariah, what do I need to grieve? What have I lost because I haven't yet had a child? What, what are the things in his mind when he, the, the idea of a couple getting married and not having kids, that, that didn't happen during this day. Again, the assumption was children are a blessing from God, and when you get married, you're going to have them as a sign of his favor on your life. And if you're not having them, it's because God is punishing you. He's judging you. The idea of a couple, again, intentionally saying we're not going to have kids, that's, that's foreign to the Bible. And so for Zechariah, he's, he's had to mourn. I would say, what have you lost in the 10 years or the 15 years or the 20 years that you've been married that you haven't had kids? When your best friend got married and they had kids and maybe in your mind you thought they're going to grow up together and they're going to be best friends. And now that kid is 17 or 18 years old and you hadn't had one yet. What are the things that Zachariah has to mourn or has to grieve? What are the things for you? We think of mourning and grieving when someone dies. Mourning or grieving, it's just an acknowledgement of loss. And so any loss needs to be acknowledged or you're going to carry it with you into the future. One of the things that trips us up is when we decide it doesn't matter in our brain, but our heart tells us it does. It matters in our heart, but we decide it's not a big deal in our brain. And so we don't grieve it. I'm not saying you have to weep and wail, but there has to be an acknowledgement of what you've lost. This is not the life that I thought I was going to have. This is not where I thought I would be at this point. This is not working out the way that I envisioned it would. All of those uh, acknowledgements are a form of grieving or a form of mourning. You don't just mourn people who die, you mourn dreams that die, and businesses that die, and relationships that die, and hopes that die. All of those losses have to be acknowledged or you carry them forward. And grief has to come out. And it comes out sideways if you're not willing to, before the Lord, say, 
I'm acknowledging at 43, this is not where I thought I'd be, or this is not what I thought my life would look like, or this is not how I thought this relationship would go. You're not pitching a fit. It's grieving, and until you do, it's going to be very difficult for you to be open to receiving anything new from the Lord. It's not that he's withholding from you. It's you're not in a place to receive it. Your heart's not open yet. It's still calloused. And so as we think about Christmas in 23 days and think about Jesus as the ultimate gift and the fact that God still gives good gifts to us, my question, my challenge, my encouragement to you is cultivate a heart like Mary's. We can, we can fall towards Zachariah at times. We have to be intentional. Cultivate a heart like Mary's who would say to the angel Gabriel, you would say to God wanting to do a new work or speak a new word into your life, be it to me as you will. I'm, I'm here. I'm your servant. Whatever you've got, I'll say yes to that. Here's how I want you to respond. On the outside walls, there are these baskets, and in those baskets are gift tags. This is something we've done for the past several Christmases. We're on those gift tags. I want you to take one. Everybody takes one. I don't want you to write your name on the gift tag. But what you're going to write on the gift tag is what you want. What do you want from the Lord for Christmas? If you write world peace, we're going to burn it. We're not, going to do, we're not doing that. You write something personal to you. If your heart is a bit like Zechariah, then this isn't easy for you to open yourself up again, especially when you're looking. It's just three weeks away. What can God do in three weeks? Bo's going to come back and he's going to sing. And while he sings, what I want you to do is just kind of before the Lord... Just kind of go through your heart and your mind. If God showed up in your room tonight and said, hey, here's what, and he told you what he was going to, what would you want? What would you want him to give to you? You have a broken body that needs to be healed. You have a broken relationship that needs to be healed. Do you, is there something with your business? Is there somebody who's super close to you who doesn't know the Lord and you would love for God to, draw them into a relationship. I don't know. I would keep it as close as you can. And we're going to trust the Lord to work over the course of these next three weeks. Uh, we, we pray every Tuesday from 7 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. here for our church and for our city. And for the next four Tuesdays, this, we're going to pray for these tags. Again, we don't need your name on them. We're going to pray for these tags. And for some of you, you're an intercessor, and I would love for you to come any of those Tuesdays as you can, from any time that you can give between 7 and 7.30, so you can pray with us for God to work in these situations. And we're going to trust that he will. And on December 30th, on a Sunday, December 30th, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to see how God works, and we're going to trust. I think Jeremy said it, and Bill said it. We're going to trust that there's going to be testimonies, that with Gabriel we could say nothing's impossible for the Lord. Some of you, God's going to check the box. It's going to be done. For many of you, there's going to be progress. You're going to move in a direction. It won't be finished, but you'll be moving in that direction. And we're going to celebrate all of that on December 30th. But if you can come on back up, we're going to run five minutes late. We're already one and a half minute late. We're going to run five and a half minutes late so, or six. So um, Bo's going to sing. You before the Lord are going to write on that gift tag. 
I'm going to come up when Bo's done, and I'm going to dismiss us in prayer. You're going to take that gift tag and put it in one of those two baskets uh, on your way out. The idea, hey, I have everything. I don't need anything. Don't do that. Before the Lord, what is the one thing that you would most want him to give you over the course of this next month?